Green. Are you an ultimate Eagles football fan? Well, you're in the right place. Well, you're in the right place. This is Birds 365, hosted by the new Mac and Mac, Jody McDonald and John McMullen. Here we go, here we go! Who collectively have covered and talked about more than 50-plus years of Eagles football. Kick off your day with Birds 365. You'll get debate. We love to argue. You'll get the real story from inside the locker room. And you'll hear from some of the great football minds from around the region. You're about to become an Eagles insider. Get in the game. Join Jody Mack and Johnny Mack and join the football community that flocks to Birds 365. Birds 365 starts right now. Welcome to the NFL. Let's go! Let's go! 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 And a good morning to Eagle fans. Apologize for a couple of minutes late, some technical difficulties. Well, we're up and running, and we're glad you're streaming in with us. It is Birds 365. You got Jody McDonald, Rick Saratella co-hosting today, because as you should know by now, uh, my usual partner, John McMullen, is off to Eagles practice in mere minutes from now. But we're going to milk him for every piece of information we can for the next 25 minutes before you let him get out the door. Uh, Johnny Mac, a more uh, inclusive day of practice because they actually had quasi pads on yesterday, shells. Yesterday. Yeah, we went with Actual shells. Football? Are you kidding me? Nah. The Eagles are actually playing football. Is that what no, you're we, trying we, to tell we, me? We Today is full pads. Ooh. Official full pads. Today we're cosplaying football, as I like to call it. Uh, so we're not. We're getting closer. Um, but yeah, it's it's. It's a little bit more important uh, when the pads come on. I think you see that in Kansas City with Orlando Brown. Orlando Brown's like, I'm not going to come in until the pads come on. Then he says, all right, this is a little bit more important. Uh, Let's get it. So it's, it's, it's more important when the pads finally come on. And I think it'll be really important, as I said, for this offense, because the strength of this offense is clearly the offensive line. And, when they have the those big guys have those pads on, it's a little bit more difficult to to do some damage from the defensive standpoint. Yeah, it's hot, it's humid, it's August. The pads are on, and we got our first taste, or you got your first taste of some one on ones, from what I hear, John. And uh, O line, you know, we got to give the offensive line a little credit because we've we've stated how the defense has been ahead of the offense. Yeah. However, outside of my guy Jordan Davis, who I'm sure we'll get to in a minute. The offensive line uh, sounds like they really won the majority of those one-on-one reps against the defensive line, most notably Cam Jurgens, who uh, stonewalled both Jordan Davis and Javon Hargrove, looking pretty good, that rookie. Yeah, Cam has looked uh, a little bit more advanced than I was expecting, you know, um, especially against that defensive line. So it is, you know, Jeff Stoutland hates one-on-ones because it's designed – we talk about there's certain drills, seven on sevens. The offense uh, should uh, do well in those um, one-on-one pass rushing drills. The defense should do well 
in those, it's really difficult for the offense, the offensive line. And and for the most part, the guys you would expect, um, Jordan Mailata, uh, Lane Johnson, um, they did very well. Uh, Cam Jurgens, though, yeah, he did he did a really nice job, and you can tell he's, you know, he's undersized, but he's really strong. He's sort of that country strong, um, and yeah. To be Jordan Davis, man, I got I got to tell you, it just looks weird seeing him in the middle of the line. I've never seen anybody that big playing defensive tackle. It's like Jordan Mailata playing defensive tackle almost. Jordan's got about two inches on him, um, but he's so big. Um, they were on the far side of the field, so we had to get up in into the the sort of makeshift stands at the Novacare Complex. And uh, to see that side of the field, Jordan Davis lined up at nose tackle. You can't even see Jason Kelsey on the other side. It's completely blocked out. It's, it's, you know, it's like an eclipse. <laughs> yeah, he is a big dude. Uh, and yesterday he got some good reps in and got praise for the way that he played, which means he didn't get to uh, the quarterback. Uh, apparently Mr. Hertz had maybe his best day of camp so far. At least his uh, connection percentage was bigger than it had been other days. Might have not have thrown the ball down the field much, but he did throw it over the middle a lot, John. Uh, you and I have talked about the quote-unquote spray chart that they use for quarterbacks to show where the ball's going and where the ball's being caught or defended. And uh, last year, Jalen Hurts did not venture over the middle of the field much at all. He threw no. percentage-wise more outside than maybe any other quarterback in the National Football League. Was it uh, a point of emphasis? Is that going to be what this camp is going to be about to make sure that Jalen Hurts gets comfortable throwing the ball over the middle and uh, isn't going to be shy about doing it? <clears throat> um, I don't know if that's what this camp is about, but I mean, there's no reason for him to not be comfortable throwing the football in the middle of the field if he's confident in himself because you have those two big targets, A.J. Brown, Dallas Goddard. Uh, in theory, they should be able to dominate the middle of the field. Um, but in the past, the quarterback just hasn't been competent to do it. Now, you add A.J. to the mix. That was probably the biggest play passing-wise of the offense is um, hit A.J. over the middle. And and the best part was he hit him in stride. So, you know, the strength of A.J. Brown is he sort of becomes a running back after the catch. He's really difficult to take down. So, if you put the ball where you're supposed to put the ball, give him an opportunity to, you know, to not reach, um, um, to not slow down, it's going to be really, really effective. So, yeah, I know, you know, I think the last two days of practices before Monday were so bad offensively. Everyone said, eh, this is pretty good. I, I use the word nondescript uh, because they didn't throw the ball at all, as you mentioned, Jody, down the field. The one time, they tried. It was uh, a, a miss. A.J. had a little bit of separation on James Bradbury, but it was sort of for the outside shoulder, so you had to throw it over the shoulder, and it wasn't close. Um, and then there was one other sort of deep ball that was uh, incomplete as well. So everything was underneath. And look, if you're an NFL quarterback, you should make those um, connections. So... I, I think it was nondescript, but nondescript is better than it was where it was before. So that is a positive. 
Yeah, I think it's about timing, touch, and accuracy, right? Those are the areas where Jalen Hurts is going to win. Uh, he's not this guy that's going to roll out to the right hash mark and, you know, zip a opposite, you know, left hash mark out route, you know, and squeeze it through tight windows. And I think what you're referring to, Jody, I, I actually saw the stat yesterday. Our good friends at Football Outsiders said 10% of Jalen Hurts' passes were over the middle. Yeah. I think was the worst in the league. Yeah. Just to give you a ballpark, the, the NFL average is like 22%. And I think that does come with confidence because let's be honest, when you run those cross routes, when you're throwing down the middle of the field, those windows get a little bit smaller, yeah. right? And you've got to have yeah. the confidence. To, Bad to, things can happen if you miss in the middle of the field. Yeah. Then you have the tip drill and then bang, it's coming the other way. Um, so, you know, if you don't have confidence in your accuracy, maybe you want to stay away from those high traffic areas, which I think is, is what was going on. But when you have Dallas Goddard and, and, and AJ Brown, I mean, those are two big bodies, two big targets over the middle. They can use their bodies to seal defenders. There's no reason uh, to not show confidence in those two particular players specifically over the middle. And, and we'll see how it shakes out. You know, that reminds me of something, though. All of a sudden, you know, one of my biggest concerns about this offense is there's no, there's no Devontae Smith. He, he's like, they don't throw the ball to him. Now, you know, obviously it's the fifth day of camp, but it's all A.J. Brown and Dallas Goddard in the passing game. I mean, all. And everybody else is getting sort of the run of the litter, getting the scraps at the bowl at the very end. And I'm like, hey, for the Quez Watkins of the world, Jalen Ragers, great. I don't care. But Devontae Smith is a good player. Devontae Smith has got to get more involved. Hopefully they see the first four or five games and start designing more plays for him as they continue with this offensive install. Because this is not an offense that's going to go – progression one progression two progression three it's going to be you know you're going to have a a priority uh, receiver then maybe a second and then go um so if you're not if you're not designing plays for Devonte smith you got to design plays for Devonte smith that's a, that's not a good sign to me john uh, at least what's been reported i know you reported others did as well Part of the problem with the Eagle offense is the Eagle cornerbacks have just been playing that well. They've been defending passes and playing physical against the Eagle wide receivers, Devontae Smith, the underused Devontae Smith being one of them. How good have the corners looked? I, I know we all concentrate on offense, worry about offense, want to know exactly why the offense isn't moving the ball. How much credit should the defense be getting? Yeah, a lot. Um, you know, I mentioned this with tone on, on football 24 seven. I'm like, I, you know, part of me is like, okay, is this a chicken and an egg thing? Like, is this bad offense? Great defense, uh, vice versa. Uh, is it somewhere in between? Uh, it's usually somewhere in between, but the corners have been great. Uh, the starting corners and, and I include Abonte Maddox in that as well. Uh, with the nickel corner and this, you know, trio of cornerbacks, if they stay healthy, is going to be a a big big uh, strength of this particular team. 
Um, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, we all know what Slay can do. This is Bradbury's first year here, but he's looked tremendous early in camp. Um, you can tell he's just uh, a pro. He knows how to play. He knows what to do. Um, he's just really smart, really savvy player. And then Abonte Maddox is, um, you know, he's getting better and better because he's getting – he's always had the athleticism to play in the slot, but he's getting smarter about it. And and the other day he baited Jalen Hurts into an interception. So, you know, that's the kind of stuff that Slay does when he baits quarterbacks. That's the kind of stuff that uh, really, really top-tier cornerbacks do. So that was a really positive sign for Abonte Maddox. Those, those three corners – um, and, and remember, I, I always say, you know, Avante's a starter, not the third linebacker. Avante's a starter. So, um, that's the best trio of cornerbacks they've had in a very long time around here. Yeah. I think, uh, uh, Slay, you mentioned Slay. He had a batted ball, I think versus Menchu and, and, uh, Marcus yeah. came out with the interception and then Sean Bradley, with another pickoff from Menchu. What, what is, did the, the Eagles defense just have Gardner Menchu's number here? Yeah, Gardner did not have a good day um, yesterday. And to be honest, um, he hasn't had a good camp. Uh, so none of the quarterbacks have had a good camp, to be honest, unless you're Reed Sinet, who's been Reed Sinet. And by that, I, I'm no, by no means am I trying to say he's been the best quarterback. He's been what you expect as a third-string developmental quarterback. Jalen Hurts has not played well. Gardner Minshew has not played well. Carson Strong has been just completely overmatched uh, early in camp. Um, the only one who's doing what he's supposed to do as a third-string quarterback is kind of Reed Sinet. So that that has not been a positive. And, and Gardner's part of it had two picks yesterday. Sean Bradley got him. And as you mentioned, the Slay um, uh, PBU turns into a tip drill. I talked about the middle of the field, and Marcus Epps is there. Um, and Marcus has played tremendous as well early in camp. So, um, yeah, I mean, they need better quarterback play. It was interesting to me, Nick Sirianni said, pre-practice yesterday, oh, everything's fine, everything's great. You know, we're lining up right. Uh, all the technical, you know, the spacing's right. Um, he did admit there's too many turnovers, so I do give him credit for that. And he went into pretty in detail about what Jalen was doing wrong on his particular interceptions. But um, he's not worried, and, you know, maybe he shouldn't be worried because they haven't even put on the pads, and that'll happen today. Johnny Mac, a couple of Eagle players – have already taken exception to media reporting about these first handful of practices. Uh, we touched on Miles Sanders yesterday. I don't think that any of you guys, and I know Elliot Park, because just I talked to him firsthand after the Eagle practice on Friday, did anything wrong by noting that Miles ran with the second unit. Didn't mean he was going to run with the second unit only. Didn't mean his job was in jeopardy with the Philadelphia Eagles. He just ran with the second unit. It was worth noting. And Miles got his nose bent out of shape. And yesterday, Jalen Rager responding to a tweet by John uh, Clark, which was, I, if I, I trust John Clark, 
and you can confirm what he said was accurate about the way the Jalen played and was playing. He comes out with a uh, not for rebroadcast tweet in response. What's the deal here? A little thin skin from the Philadelphia Eagles with the uh, kind of, yeah, you only get yeah. so much scrutiny. You guys are only there so long. I got, yeah. how can you I dare mean, report on what's going modern, on? Modern, modern player, you know, some guys get it. Some guys don't. I mean, with Jalen, it's been this way for a while. Jalen should just delete social media. I advocated that. I mean, look, I, I advocate all players don't go near social media because there's going to be some toxic stuff. And we're, you're getting upset about somebody describing a play. Or in Elliot's case, you know, he did. He took second-team reps. It's factual. And nobody denies it. And uh, even the head coach said, yeah, we rotate. He was in with the second team. Uh, doesn't mean he's not a starter. He is the starter. And, you, you know, guys get upset. There are other guys, Jalen Hurts, uh, who doesn't get upset at all about that kind of stuff. Jason Kelsey, um, you know, he'll talk about it. He'll, he'll give the big speeches behind the scenes. But he understands what it is. Um Modern player is all I can say. It's 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 unbelievable that those those are not deep cutting criticisms. I mean, oh, he's taking second team. I joked Elliot yesterday. He should say, "Not bad for a, for a second team running back." Miles Miles ran for a touchdown. I you know you, you should tweet out, "Not bad for a second team running back." And see what happens, but. You know, that wouldn't have won over well. No. Um, Jalen, Jalen Rager, you know, he's gone through a lot. Uh, and that's why I, he should just delete that thing and stay away from it. Yeah. But, John, but I mean, if he's, take if he's responding advice. to that, that kind of criticism out there, you don't just, you know, maybe he logged on Twitter and came across it. But to me, it's in his head because he's searching for it now. He's out there. Oh, he's yeah. Well, that's the problem. And that's why I said, and clearly it was deleted. Now, Jalen Rager's uh, blocked most of us anyway um, by this point. Which, we kept Johnny know, Clark. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and there's a few we kept. And that's why Johnson's the nicest guy in the world. That's probably why. I mean, you know. Okay, I, and I forget the exact tweet. It was something about dropping or or juggling the ball. But um, all right, who cares? Uh, you know, that's what we're there for. I'm not a big fan of, of Twitter play by play uh, during uh, practice. Uh, I don't think it's meaningful. I think people get too upset about it, both or too excited about it from a fan's perspective and from a player's perspective. It is about, you know, half of the time. I remember when when Andy and Doug were here, and, and Doug specifically, they would have 20-20-20 practices, which are different types of practices designed to, you know, offense servicing the defense, vice versa. Uh, and, you know, a bunch of reporters would come in from Allentown, you know, on a day pass or somewhere at Reading or somewhere – and, and they don't know. And they're looking at the offense throwing interceptions, saying, oh, that's a horrible throw. And so the Eagles would actually put out a, a, a sort of explanation. This is a 2020-20 practice. The offense is not trying to succeed. Um, 
you don't know what they're trying to accomplish. So I'm not a big fan of play by play. That's a long winded way of saying that, but um, so what, man, you're an NFL player. You're going to face criticism. Um, and, and the fact that those guys got upset about that is not a good sign to be honest. Now in miles case, you know, maybe, sorry, sorry, Jody. In Miles' case, you know, maybe he uses that as a chip on his shoulder. With Jalen, I think we're too too far down the road. He takes this up. And we all predicted when we saw it, it'll be deleted within an hour. It was deleted within, you know, two hours at least. And you're right. Uh, at least Miles, to this point, has used his motivation because, uh, according to you guys, he's looked as good as anyone else on the offensive side of the ball so far. Um, do want to ask about one specific play, and this is really getting narrow focused. Jalen Hurts rolled left, tried to throw across his body, got picked off, uh, was not a pretty play at all, and there's been – a lot of talk about the fact that when Jalen goes left, uh, that's what you want to do if you're a defense, force him left, kind of like a basketball player. Make him go left. Yeah. Do that with Jalen Hurts. You got that's what Tampa chance. Bay did. Tampa and Bay did. Tampa did a great job of it in the uh, playoff game they had last year. Could And maybe this is – I got to take my eagle-colored glasses off. Could that have been Jalen just working on it? that he knows it's not a strength and he knows at some point during the year, he's probably going to have to make a play going to his left. Uh, I can harken back to baseball spring training stuff where a pitcher will throw seven straight curveballs. You'd never throw seven straight curveballs in a real game, but if you're working on your curveball, then you're going to throw seven straight curveballs. You don't care how many uh, get smacked around. Was that it or was that just natural reaction the pocket pushed that way. He went that way. Uh-oh, he still can't do it. We're screwed. Um, <laughs> was there any chance that that was by design, that no. they wanted to give Jalen a chance no. to show that he's better at it this year? It was definitely the pocket breaking down. He just happened to get flush left. And that was one of the plays Nick talked about specifically and called it a bad decision. Uh, and they were hoping he would dump it down to, I think it was Moss, might have been Boston, but. Uh, and instead he tried to throw it over the middle of the field and what happened happened. Um, no, yeah, they weren't, uh, they're hopeful that once he gets flushed out of the pocket, that he would make the good decision and look, he's going to have to prove that because everybody's got the blueprint. We always say this is a copycat league. It is a copycat league, but it's a very, very slow moving cop uh, copycat league. And, you know, Opposing defensive coordinators really don't get to this kind of stuff until the offseason. Now everybody has that Tampa Bay tape. They saw what they did. It was very, very effective. And teams are going to try to make sure that when Jalen Hurts escapes the pocket, it's to the left and not the right. And he's going to have to get better at it. And sometimes just getting better at it is throwing the damn football in the ground. Uh, throwing it away, just not making the negative play and living to see the next down. In that situation, it was it was a third down drill. So he's trying to convert the first down. And Nick said, you know what? You know, you know, if it's fourth and one, maybe we'll go for it on fourth and one. You know, do what you're supposed to do. Make the good decision. 
don't try to reach because of the situation. So it was a bad play. No, they weren't trying to work on anything. And, and Nick was pretty honest about it. It was a bad decision. It was a bad play. John, going back to a couple of offensive players here that are injured, uh, Zach Pascal hasn't practiced yet. That must have been some pretty bad food poisoning. He's missed his fourth straight practice. Has that opened up the door for any receivers to take an, uh, an opportunity? Well, nobody gets it, Rick, except A.J. in Dallas. No, so, no. Um, I would say Deion Kane is the best of the second-tier receivers by pretty wide margin. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Quez is number three. Jalen's going to be here if they can't um, trade him. And then you start talking about, all right, where does it go from there? You know, is Britton Kobe going to make the team as a returner? I think all of that is tied into Jalen Rager. If Jalen's here, he's going to be the returner. Um, but, yeah, they don't – I mean, they don't throw the football to anybody but A.J. Brown and Dallas Goddard <laughs> to date. So, um, they don't even throw it to Devontae Smith. So, I wouldn't be too concerned about Greg Ward versus uh, – Britton Covey or or whoever you want to throw into that uh, throw into that mix. Uh, uh, yesterday here on the show, Johnny Mac did the same thing. Had to run out to practice, but as we were speaking, he saw on social media that the decision had been made in the Sean Watson case a little earlier than was expected. It was supposed to be nine o'clock, but the announcement came out at eight twenty something. Uh, the two Robinson had uh, given six games to Deshaun Watson. Now we know the NFL and the NFLPA, but the NFLPA is on record saying, and they they got ahead of the curve and said, we will accept whatever uh, decision Sue Robinson comes down with, which was smart on their part. Um, so now it basically comes down to the NFL. Will they appeal the suspension? If they do, then the appeal is heard by... Roger Goodell, which basically means he can set the punishment at whatever level he wants. Uh, three days from when it was announced was yesterday, so now down to two days. Johnny, give me your best guess time frame. When and how do we hear from the NFL as to what the actual suspension will be? Will they let the Robinson six-game decision stand up? Will they add to it? How and when is this going to shake out coming out of the commissioner's office? I think they got their finger up in the air and they're – they're gauging public reaction, uh, which is not good. I, I, which, you know, I've been pretty good on predictions here. Uh, I predicted six games because I thought Sue Robinson would rely on previous precedent, Ezekiel Elliott, Ben Roethlisberger. Um, I thought that's where she would land. Um, I thought the reaction would be awful. It's turning out to be awful. I thought people would immediately go to Calvin Ridley. They immediately went to Calvin Ridley. Um, how could you suspend somebody for a year for gambling and you can't suspend uh, somebody with 24 sexual misconduct allegations? Um, there's so much nuance to this decision, and it's difficult to educate the fan base on it. I mean, I've, I've been trying to do it for years, the difference between the personal conduct policy, the PED policy, the gambling policy, their structured penalties. People went back to marijuana when they suspended people for marijuana. There were structured penalties for those types of things. And PD uh, personal conduct's open-ended, so it makes it more difficult. 
But that's really, really tough to explain to people. It's impossible. In fact, um, nobody's getting down in the weeds with that. They just aren't. So the league looks terrible. I mean, first of all, you hear that number. twenty. Some people say 24, 22. I think Sue Robinson was dealing with four different cases. Right, I only think four. Four. So throw that 22, 24 out the window, but you constantly hear it. She was dealing with four different cases. Um, she made the decision she made. I thought it was predictable. Now it comes down to what the NFL wants to do. The reason they set up this process, because to be honest, they wanted no part of it. But, you know, they're going to get blamed for it. The NFL, you're already hearing it. The NFL won't suspend a player for sexual misconduct, but they'll suspend somebody for gambling or weed or blah, blah, blah. You're already hearing these narratives. And it bothers me most, to be honest, with people who should know better, people who cover the league. They should know better. Now, I get it that fans don't know the CBA. It's boring. It's arcane. It's complicated. But people who cover the league should know better. Um, I think she did her job. I think it should stand. And if the NFL wants to change it, and this is just my personal opinion, they should negotiate it and structure it. And then they can change it. But the problem here is, and as she kind of said, is you can't just make up new rules as you go along. And that's what the NFL has done for two. All right, long. but I'm going to play Roger Goodell here for a second. Yeah, they can. Well, yeah, they can. They, they agreed to it in collective bargaining that we would have an independent judge give an opinion because that's all it is, an opinion. But then there's the appeals process, and we know how the appeal process goes. It goes right back to the yeah. commissioner. Well, so what I should have said, you're right, Because Jody. they they collectively bargain right. the fact that he can do it. You're, you're 100% right. What I should have said is you shouldn't do that. In other words, if if you're going to ask, you know, people like me, and I'm I'm, I'm Sue Robinson as an arbiter, as a, a former judge, to do this type of thing, we're going to do it in a way where we adhere to how you did things in the past, basically, previous precedent. And we are going to look at what you've done. And we're going to try to be as fair and impartial as possible. Um, now, because the, the general public is more upset about this than something in the past or this, that's the reason you do it. That's the reason you try to be set up everything to be as fair and impartial as possible. So you're right, Jody. They can do whatever they want because they collectively bargained it and they're going to win in court. Even if it goes all the way to the Supreme Court, we talked about this yesterday. Ultimately, they're going to win. They're going to have the same problem, though. They're going to have the same problem. So either they want to correct the problem or they don't want to correct the problem. If they don't want to correct the problem and they're just worried about the general public sentiment, yeah, they're just going to appeal it and and put any suspension they want. Right, if Dan, they want to correct the problem, they'll correct the problem. Let me ask you one more question before we let you run. Um, and I'm playing kind of devil's advocate here. The precedent, the precedent is set that Sue Robinson attempted to make her decision using precedent. There was no precedent before this. There had never been a case like this. And as soon as you have a somewhat similar case, well, then you change the focus. 
if there is a pretty darn exact uh, previous decision made on a specific action, then it's easy. Yeah, you should stick to precedent. But we've never had a player accused of 24, 26 cases of nonviolent sexual assault. But again, assault. She, wasn't, she wasn't dealing with the 24 cases. All right, all right, then just four. We've never had any player accused of four nonviolent sexual assaults. And, yeah. so and she used you, that how term. do you use precedent? But because from a from a judge's perspective, the, the precedent is what they described as nonviolent sexual offenses. It's what the NFL. So you're never going to have a Ben Roethlisberger accusation of being in a bathroom. You're never going to have the exact same accusation. That's not what they're saying by precedent. They're saying by precedent. She's saying by precedent non nonviolent, which is a goopy way of describing it. Um, number one, but that's the way the league described it. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott, same way. You're not going to have that exact same circumstance of what Ezekiel Elliott did or or, or Adrian Peterson or Jameis Winston. Um, you're never going to have the exact same incident. Every incident is going to be different. Um, the, the precedent part is the, the nonviolent sexual offense part. And that's what she was ruling on. And the fact that, you know, you, you can't just wake up one day and say, oh, people are taking this worse than they took this and say, we want to make it this. And that's sort of what it came down to. Jay Mack, no, you got to run. Got to get to practice. Uh, who, what coach are you hearing from today? Uh, Shane Steichen, the play caller, baby. The play caller. All right, uh, get so the ball to Devontae Smith. Uh, let's get uh, yeah, so maybe that, there'll that, be a question. You no, know, that'll be Johnny that. Mac's first question. Is yeah. Devontae Smith still on the roster, Shane? Because it doesn't look like you're calling his number much here in practice. Uh, Jay Mac will be back with us again tomorrow. Uh, safe travels over to uh, Philly. John McMullen here with us. Thank you, guys. Uh, Thank you, Johnny. 65. All right, uh, Ricky Saratella is in for Johnny Mac today. Uh, we've got a good guest. Good job by Rick getting Howard Balzer to agree to uh, come on with us. Over 30-plus years of doing radio, I've probably had Howard on my show 50 times. Uh, great NFL writer, uh, hosts a Hall of Fame show on SiriusXM's NFL radio, and this weekend is the induction of the Hall of Fame, uh, including Coach Dick Vermeil. So we're going to have Howard Balzer a little bit in hour number two. I've never asked Howard to come on the show because he's a West Coast guy. I said, I'm not going to ask him to come on at 6.20 a.m. Rick did, and Howard said, yeah, I'll get up. Not a problem. I can get up for you guys. So looking forward to talking to uh, Howard Balzer when we come back. I wanted to get John's take on everything Eagles and also the Deshaun Watson thing. I want to give Rick a chance to talk about where he thinks this Deshaun Watson thing uh, is going as well. Johnny McDonald, Rick Saratella, appreciate you streaming on in here on Birds 365. Go for the pulse and the pools. Go for the ooze and the oz. Go for the bubbles and the bubbly. Go for the story and the stories. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. 
Action News at 11 with Rick Williams. It's the team you trust to bring it all together. The stories that impact your community, a sports roundup for the locals, and the AccuWeather forecast you depend on. Action News at 11 with Rick Williams. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. McDonald, John McMullen just took off for Eagles practice. He'll be there. He'll be back here tomorrow to report on everything that goes down in practice number five. The first time this year, the Eagles actually put on the pads. They put on shells yesterday, smaller size, um, but they will not tackle to the ground. They will not tackle to the ground in any Eagles only practice. I hope and say, I meant I wanted to get the, uh, this to John. Well, we certainly can do so tomorrow because we don't have to worry about it for a couple of weeks. When they have those joint practices, have they already negotiated with the Browns and the Dolphins that they won't be tackling to the ground? I, I, I'm doubting that. I'm guessing they're actually going to hit somebody in these practices, joint practices they got coming up. But that's still two weeks away. Um, we'll get back to the birds in a second. Ricky, I do want to get your thoughts on, because I kind of, and I apologize, uh, monopolized the questioning with John about the Deshaun Watson decision. Um Here's the point that I was attempting to make. Maybe I did a bad job. Maybe John just disagrees with me. There's no perfect precedent. John did agree that there's no such thing. The, the happenstance and the likelihood that the exact same thing would have happened with a previous player for them to base their disciplinary stance against Deshaun Watson uh, just wasn't going to be the case. So you have to try and find something that's similar. 
something that you can base a decision going forward on. Um, but there's no perfect comparison. As soon as you say there's no perfect comparison to me, that means, well, there's going to be some subjectivity to it. It can't just be we'll apply exactly what's already been decided with a previous case to the present case. They're all different. If we acknowledge that the, the chances of them being exactly the same is infinitesimal, well, then you have to give the person who's making the decision latitude, in this case with Sue Robinson for now, until it becomes Roger Goodell, you have to give them the latitude to be able to uh, compare one to the other and decide if one is lesser, if one is worse than the other. That's why I don't think it's a lot that Roger Goodell is just going to uh, rubber stamp this and say, yes, we turned the process over to Sue Robinson and we're going to let her do it. I think the public perception has been, and then, yeah, I'm just using social media. I took a couple of calls on it on my uh, WIP show last night. But judging through whatever you get through social media and or on any other uh, media outlets, uh, most people seem to think that this punishment just isn't enough. Do you believe Roger Goodell will be swayed by public opinion? I think John had a good analogy where, the, you know, the fingers in the air, they're kind of testing, gauging the wind to see what which way it blows. Now, I mean, I haven't seen, um, surprisingly, any of the female employees, because I think that's one of the big changes from Ezekiel Elliott or Big Ben Roethlisberger, is there's an influx of females in every single NFL facility and building. And uh, I have not seen one of them, to my knowledge, come out and be outspoken about that. I don't know if, because a lot of them are interns or lower level jobs, they don't want to jeopardize that. But I believe if the female community came together and had just as much outrage as the, the public outcry is, I think this suspension would definitely be longer. Now, on the opposite end of the spectrum, you know, the NFL might not do anything because there's a human element involved. But at the end of the day, whether we like it or not, Deshaun Watson never has been convicted of any wrongdoing in the court of law. The United States of America, you're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. So in a way, Deshaun Watson, even though we, we discussed, yeah, he admitted some guilt by coming to these settlements in the court of law. He's still an innocent man. And I think that's what really rubs people the wrong way. Not only that, the signing bonus wasn't touched. The guaranteed wasn't touched. The Browns finagled this contract so that he would only be, you know, as it currently stands, I think it's only a $365,000 pocketbook hit. I mean, that's an embarrassment, quite frankly. So the league does come out here looking like some egg with, with some egg on its face, but the Browns found a loophole and it, it's really a poor taste in, in uh, what they did there. I'm with you in that uh, the fact that he's going to pay such a small monetary fine uh, for what he was judged to do, I think is ridiculous, but you should just hold that against the Browns. That's not on anybody else. The Browns were the ones who decided to structure the contract the way that they did. Uh, you know that Deshaun's agent asked for it and the Browns relented and said, okay, fine, here's the way we'll do it. Um, but that's on, Cle that's on Cleveland, that's on the Browns and not on anybody else. Roger Goodell should not feel badly for that. NFL fans should not hold that against Roger Goodell. And I would even go so far as to say Roger Goodell shouldn't attempt to add to the amount of games that uh, Deshaun Watson is suspended to balance the scales because he's losing so little financially. That's just the Browns. Take it up with the Browns, uh, Commission. 
at some uh, date, when you get the chance, pull Jimmy Haslam aside, say, do you really know, do you understand how bad this makes us look as a league because you did what you did? But that's something they got to handle internally, and I don't think it should affect uh, Goodell's uh, handling of the suspension at all. Um, you'll remember, and I know, Ricky, you've been following it as long as, uh, close to as long as I have, and certainly we both go back to the Ray Rice situation. They made a call on Ray Rice. They put the number out there, and then the video came out. And Roger Goodell had a whole bunch of egg on his face. And I really do believe that there were owners that wanted to fire Roger Goodell on the spot, that were ready to strip him of his commissionership. Uh, And Goodell felt the heat of that very much so. He doesn't want that ever happen again. Because there are uh, people in the media and certainly in NFL fan bases that think that he has been a soft commissioner, that he hasn't been tough enough on players with fine. And oh, by the way, Sue Robinson is a new way of doing things, bringing in an independent third party. Used to be cut to the chase, just go straight to Roger and let him decide. There was no uh, other opinions. His was the only thing that came down and that mattered. I think that he's still feeling that. I think that Roger Goodell doesn't ever want to be perceived as the soft commissioner again. It's certainly the most he's ever feared for the potential of losing his 40 million plus a year job, whatever he's getting paid these days. Um, uh, Should he allow, we talk about precedent and what's uh, come before helping us decide what should uh, become going forward. Do you think the precedent of the Ray Rice uh, situation plays at all in this? I I think it's correctly. It, it, it's almost like the cover-up was worse than the crime because TMZ was almost like sitting on that video waiting to release it. As soon as that announcement came out, the, the league all Park Avenue was claiming, oh, we, we knew nothing about the video, but it's like, come on, guys. If, if TMZ had it, I'm sure you guys must have seen it. And I think that was kind of the outrage. But when you when you have video evidence of an incident, I mean, let's let's be honest. We all heard about the Ray Rice incident. I think we all, whether that's fair or not, after we viewed it, we thought even more worse things. And I think that was, you know, the big thing with Laramie Tunsil, a whole different side case. He slides in the draft because there's a video of it. We haven't seen a video of Deshaun Watson. So I think if a video were to emerge, this could be a whole nother can of worms. What rubs me the wrong way is the Houston Texans seem to skate this uh, squeaky clean. I mean, these were team issued NDAs that a lot of these women signed and the Texans got zero penalty. And I, I did see as part of the uh, reinstatement clause that Sue put in there upon Deshaun Watson's reinstatement, it is advised he uses team massage therapist or team approved massage therapist. And I don't know who's policing that, but now maybe there is some accountability for the Cleveland Browns if this does happen again. But to me, the fact that the Houston Texans got zero penalty, I, I think that stinks as well. Right. Well, they did get penalized financially because they did the settlements with all the individuals. And what was really telling about Back that, I'm, I'm, I think we discussed this previously here on Birds 365. There were only, of the, all the lawsuits against uh, uh, the quarterback, only two were filed by a fellow Busby clients that said, yeah, we're going to go after the Texans as well. 
the Texans settled with all the other ones that had brought suit against uh, Deshaun Watson. Before they were ever served with a suit themselves, they said, let's reach out to them and see if we can negotiate a uh, a payment in advance before they ever filed the suit. So it basically is the Texans admitting, yeah, we're kind of culpable in this. Uh, if, if it goes to a court, we're probably going to lose. So let's get out in front of it and, and pay these people off. Yeah, they had to know they were complicit, but they, they were involved in this. Um, did they get off scot-free? No, they had to write a check. Now, that's... Uh, something that uh, the owner has certainly the funds to be able to do. Um, but they also did uh, trade the player, even though all the actions came down while he was a member of the player. They had tried to move on and are moving on. Um, uh, yeah, I thought that there was a chance that they would at least be uh, uh, brought up in some way, shape or form in Robinson's uh, statement. But um, I don't really. Do you care about the Texans at this, this point in this uh, whole Deshaun Watson uh, uh, Foldy Doll and Fiddle DD, uh, they have become a forgotten party for me. I, I think the Texans knew more than what publicly has been let okay. on. Because, you know, I mean, again, it, it, they're the ones that were they were the ones that initially advised Deshaun to use the NDAs, and it makes it makes that New York Times report of '66, you know, a, a lot more realistic because of what you're saying is, hey, these cases were were settled even before the Watson case came out. Well, hey. Man, it's probably really, you know, we say 24, New York Times says 66. I mean, it's, who knows? It could be somewhere in the middle. It could be even more. And I think, you know, I, I do think the Texans were part of the crime here, whether they want to admit it or maybe by a third part, party guilty association. But they're the one that kind of facilitated this whole NDA uh, protocol. So to me, I think they should have been, hey, I hear what you're saying. They, they, they paid out of the pocket. That was pocket change to them. But. As far as NFL conduct goes, I mean, the Patriots, they were they, they lost a first round pick, I think, for Deflategate. Uh, you know, I mean, so there is some other things we can go back and look at there. I, I, I don't know. I think the Texans could have been penalized. Am I am I going to dwell on it? Am I going to be bent out of shape on it? Probably not. But, you know, this whole situation, I think. It, the, the, the ruling came down a lot lighter than I, I thought people uh, were expecting. And where I guess I got to agree with you is, uh, and again, never been a police officer, never been a lawyer, but I watch enough law and order to know the way that I think the, the laws are. If uh, you're the getaway driver and a uh, robbery is taking place and someone gets killed during the robbery, oh, guess what? You're still guilty of murder as well uh, as a co-conspirator. So you got a point there. Maybe, maybe the Texan should have been handled a little harder if they're just handing out DNAs like candy uh, um, for uh, Deshaun Watson to use with those that he brought in for uh, massages. All right, Rick Saratella and Jody McDonald, your Birds 365 guys today. Ricky's in for Johnny Mac. Johnny Mac, uh, we making his way over to Eagle practice. Shane Steichen will be the coach who will talk ahead of time. And then padded practice, actual padded practices for the Eagles today. Come back, Ricky, and I'll do a little bit more Eagle talk. Coming up in, oh, less than uh, 25 minutes from now, Howard Balzer. Uh, who covers the Arizona Cardinals for Sports Illustrated, national football writer for decades. Howard Balzer from SI going to join us coming up in about 20-plus minutes here on Birds 365. Go for the polls and the pools. Go for the ooze 
and the Oz. Go for the bubbles and the bubbly. Go for the story and the stories. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Action News at 11 with Rick Williams. It's the team you trust to bring it all together. The stories that impact your community. A sports roundup for the locals. And the AccuWeather forecast you depend on. Action News at 11 with Rick Williams. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. Streaming on in, you got a bird 365. You've got Rick Saratella filling in for John McMullen with me, Jordan McDonald. Howard Balzer from Sports Illustrated, longtime NFL uh, columnist writer, will jump aboard with us. Um, yeah, he's got some Arizona stories to tell. Uh, uh, Kyler Murray, no matter what happens, uh, there's something that's always seemed to affect the upcoming season be it contracts, be it clauses in the contract, be it positive COVID tests. And at some point, uh, Kyler Murray's going to get out there on the field for Arizona. But uh, that's coming up with Howard Balzer in a little bit. Let's talk about the Eagles quarterback, uh, Ricky. We had the chance to talk to John about it, and he's down there at practice every single day, and we get the reports thereafter. I know that some people get their nose out of joint when uh, people are scrutinized with a, a very tight microscope with what they do in a practice session. And it's not even a true practice session because a lot of them are scaled back to protect guys from injury. But that's what 
Eagle fans want. Then we do what we do here on Birds 365 for Eagle fans. We're here to provide content, to give opinion on the Philadelphia Eagles for Eagles fans. Eagle fans want this. I never get calls that say, hey, Jody, I'm the biggest Eagle fan you know, but wake me up when the season starts. No, they want to know now. They want updated opinions. They want updated information on the players. And Jalen Hurts really hasn't wowed anybody in camp so far. Do we make too big a deal out of it? Do we not make a big enough deal out of it? What's your take on the reporting of how a quarterback looks in an NFL training camp in 2022? Well, I think the reality of the Jalen Hurts situation is we really won't know until NFL week one because I don't think he's even going to play any preseason snaps. If he does, it won't be much. Uh, but I think the, the issue here is Eagles fans want Jalen Hurts to improve. They just don't want him to make mistakes while he's working on trying to improve in practice. I mean, that's what practice is for. And, you know, to your point, you asked the question, was that by design on the rollout to the left? Maybe it wasn't by design, but maybe in the game, Hurts doesn't make that pass. Maybe he said, hey, let me just wing it and fling it and see what happens, because in his head, he knows he needs to work on that. And so I think, you know, you got to give him time. You got to give him patience. But we really won't be able to gauge the barometer until he see until the live bullets are flying. You know, all this stuff, too, like Miles Sanders looks great on on air and in, in, in shorts and T-shirt. Well, let's see how he looks when he's getting banged up. And so uh, we won't know what Jalen Hurts improvement looks like until the results on the field come you know uh the cardinals and eagles i know they're going to be playing week five and talk about it when you were when you were out on friday i made the statement hey if i'm starting a team today give me jalen hurts over kyler murray for the x factors okay because he's well prepared because he's a leader of men because he's the first one in and the last one out because he studies four hours a day not four hours a week and you can call me crazy but when you don't have the respect in your own locker room, which a lot of players don't for Kyler Murray because of his work ethic, well, it's hard to win ball games. It's hard to rally the troops behind you. When Jalen Hurts uh, steps into that huddle, he has everybody's full attention. Everybody's bought in. Everybody believes. I can't say the same thing about a Kyler Murray. So for that reason, I'm betting on Jalen Hurts because he is a student of the game. If you look at the offense where he ran after Alabama, he went to Oklahoma, and you can argue he ran – that offense more efficiently than Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray, quite frankly. And so, you know, this is what year three, it should be a big step forward. And we see that on the field. But when, when, when you're not hitting, when you're not playing, when you're not suiting up in preseason games, it's kind of hard to see the, the real progress. Now I'm very much looking forward to hearing from Howard Bolzer. I, I <laughs> did not know that your sources in Arizona were as good as they were that say there are players that don't respect Kyler Murray in that huddle when he takes them together as their new $200 million quarterback. That should be very interesting if that's the case, if Howard confirms and concurs with you that that's the case. Um, here's... I'll annoy Eagle fans here. Uh, here is one thing that uh, we have to at least open our mind to the possibility of. Uh, Johnny and I have been doing the Birds 365 show all offseason since they got their tails kicked to, to the side by the Tampa Bay Bucks in the playoffs last year. And people wanted to know, well, what needs to change? What's going to be different about the 2022 Eagles than the 2021 Eagles that got their butts kicked and handed to them by Tampa? Well, a big part of that was, Jalen Hurts will 
be better. He will get better. An extra year, that much more practice, that's much more learning. Him being the man in the locker room, that it would all improve with the upcoming season. Certainly, that's what all Eagle fans are hoping for. There's a chance that Jalen Hurts is what he is, that he's plateaued, that this is the level quarterback that he's capable of playing in the National Football League, that there isn't all that much room for improvement. That will be what it is. I would not say it's what you're hoping for, what you're banking on, but you have to at least acknowledge the possibility of it. Then there's one that nobody ever talks about, and that's Jalen Hurts regressing. That maybe Jalen Hurts overperformed last year. That when everybody gets a book on Jalen Hurts and gets a look at how Tampa just completely dominated the Eagles offense in that playoff game, that the Eagles might go backwards. They shouldn't because they added A.J. Brown. uh, So his talents and skills should upgrade the Eagle offense. But if Jalen Hurts doesn't improve and Jalen Hurts potentially goes backwards, that could be bad. And oh, by the way, as John and all the other Eagle beat guys are reported, Jalen Hurts isn't the only quarterback that's struggling in camp these days. Gardner Minshew isn't doing anything. Our guy, yes, that would be both you and me, uh, Carson Strong hasn't done anything in camp so far this year. The Eagles, if Jalen Hurts isn't up for this season, uh, Rick, the Eagles are in trouble. If Jalen Hurts, by some uh, hook or crook, decides to take a step backwards, the Eagles season is screwed, isn't it? I'm a little bit bigger of a Gardner Menchie fan than you are, but yes, I mean they're not they're not uh, winning any playoff games with Gardner Menchie. Now, I will say if if Jalen Hurts regresses with arguably the best offensive line in football and the addition of AJ Brown, well then they'll be looking for a new quarterback next draft, right? And I think those are the two biggest factors actors that he has working in his favor. And we talked about throwing those balls over the middle. Hey, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be deep downfield. Now you could throw a five yard slant to AJ Brown crossing the middle and he can take it the distance. Now they didn't have that element a year ago. So I think that's going to bode well for Jalen hurts. I I think he's going to progress. I I really do because he, he's a guy that puts in the work. I mean, he's prepared, he studies, uh, he has the cerebral, rule mentality and I, I mean you could argue that he did uh progress slightly last year i mean uh the accuracy still is nowhere near where it needs to be but it did improve slightly and that's what you get with a young quarterback is baby steps uh experience you know sitting in the saddle seeing those different uh scenarios and you know the tampa bay defense threw through the whole kitchen sink at him in that playoff game and now he's got his feet wet and he knows what to expect. Let's remember, Lamar Jackson has also struggled in the playoffs. And that's kind of the big knock on him is can he, he get over that hurdle? And look, he's won an MVP. So um, I, I think Jalen Hurts is going to improve. I think he'll be okay. And I think you got to also realize, like, he is a guy that can beat you two ways now. And the Eagles have always had that in their offensive arsenal. I, and, and myself included have said, hey, Jalen runs too much. Yeah, I don't want him running 750 times. I still want him running. Going back to Randall Cunningham, Donovan McNabb, Michael Vick, uh, Jalen Hurts, we've always had a quarterback here in Philly that can beat you two A's, and that's one of the benefits that Jalen Hurts brings to this modern NFL offense. I uh, want to get you to expand, and then I want to get uh, some opinions. 
for those of you uh, viewing here on Birch 365, if you want to check in on uh, the stream and, and give me your thoughts, I, I would like to hear a couple Eagle fans on this. The way you described how the Eagle offense might be able to work this year with Jalen Hurts uh, pulling the trigger, the first three words that came to mind for me were dink and dunk. And in the description of yesterday's practice, it sounded like a lot like that's what they were doing. Now it was over the middle, which is a good sign because, as we said at the top of the show today, not a strong suit of uh, Jalen Hurts last year. He kept everything uh, outside the numbers uh, and was a little tentative when it came to throwing the ball over the middle. But he's done. He certainly did yesterday in practice, done a little bit more of that. But he hasn't been launching the ball down the field very much. Would the Eagle fans be okay? with a dink and dunk offense that you do basically put it in the hands of Dallas Goddard and say, make the catch, break a tackle, turn it upfield. A.J. Brown on a slant, break a tackle, turn it upfield. Um, everyone loves to see the ball up in the air and the, the bomb over the top, but it doesn't matter how you score. It's that you score. doesn't matter how you get it down the field. Will in in the NFL in 2022, we know the Eagles have made a concerted effort to be more of a passing team this year than they were last year. The biggest uh, example, of course, is the A.J. Brown signing. Will they be okay if that passing is a dink and dunk offense? I won't call A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith, Jerry Rice, and John Taylor, but will I, what I will say is Steve Young, another scrambling quarterback, I remember a lot of dinks and dunks in that 49ers offense. I remember a lot of five-yard slants and, and Taylor Rice just running the distance to the field. And I think the one report that I read yesterday that was positive on Jalen Hurts is he was almost leading – you know, he was throwing receivers open. He was leading them with his passes. He was uh, anticipating, you know, where the receiver was going to be. And I think if he can put the receiver in the in a position to succeed and gain yards after the catch, that's how he's going to win. He – can, can he push the ball downfield? He can. Can he push the ball downfield like the other elite quarterbacks in this league? No, it's not his game. It's not his style of play. But he can make those throws. But he's got he's to focus on where his strengths are. And it is in that short to intermediate passing game. Now, he is gun shy. Absolutely. He's, he's, he's scared, scared to let it rip. Let's be honest. Uh, it'll come. And if it doesn't, they'll go find somebody else who can do it. All right, uh, we got a couple of quick responses. I just want to share these because uh, we don't go to the stream that often. But I did want to get the Eagles fans' perspective on this uh, because I, I had not um, wrapped my head around yet that the Eagles may be just a all-short passing team. And I do get to deal with a lot of Eagle fans taking the calls that I do on uh, WIP uh, when I'm on there. Um, wanted to see what the off the top of their head Eagle response was. Uh, I asked the question, would you be good with uh, the Eagles offense if it was, quote unquote, a dink and dunk uh, type offense? Uh, please know from the original baby kittens, uh, dink and dunk is fine as long as they're 12 and five. I'll be good with it. Yeah, I I'm not sure the Eagles get the 12. They might be 11, but I don't think they're necessarily going to get the 12. Uh, they're good after the catch. Why not? If they can make those plays, you throw a four yard pass and the guy gets tackled immediately. That's not much of a play. You throw a four yard pass and the guy breaks the tackle, turns it upfield, turns it into an 11 yard gain. Yeah, that works. 
Um, so it will be, although it'll be Jalen who's delivering the football, it'll be the guys who are making the catches. What could they do with it once they get their hands on the ball? They did have some of those created catches last year for Jalen Rager, which turned into nothing burgers. You got to be able to make the play. You are putting the ball in the hands of the receiver and the belief that he's going to be able to break some tackles. Uh, Johnny Mack was on with us and said, so far in the handful of practices the Eagles have, Devontae Smith's been a complete non-factor. What do you make of that? Does that scare you at all, Rex Aretel? No, I mean, I'm not going to get too worked up over that. He had damn near 1,000 yards receiving last year, so we know what Devonta Smith could do. I think the, the one thing, it doesn't worry me about Devonta so much as it worries me about A.J. Brown, and does he create this almost um, – Odell Beckham like presence where the quarterback feels his veteran presence and says, Hey, I better get AJ the ball or he's not going to be happy. I hope that's not what's going on because, you know, Hertz has got to feel comfortable to go to all of his receivers and not like he has to force feed it to AJ Brown. So if anything, that would be kind of the, the thought in, my, in, in the back of my head. Like I hope he's not force feeding AJ, but when it comes to Devonta Smith, I mean, we saw what this man can do. Uh, we're only, what, three, four practices in. Uh, the full pads are coming on today. So uh, when the bright lights come on, I I'm sure uh, Devonta Smith will be just fine on the big stage. Yeah, and I mentioned uh, Jalen Rager, and they had those created catches, specific quick outs, quick hitters, oftentimes behind the line of scrimmage to just try and get Jalen Rager the ball in open spaces to be able to make plays. Oh, he didn't make plays. It didn't work. It wasn't a good strategy by the Eagles. And that has not been the case here in practice. The first handful of days, uh, Rager has got, had the ball thrown to him, but not a whole hell of a lot. Um, don't know if I've gotten your full take on this. Johnny has certainly chimed in. Uh, we're, we're close to being on the same page. If they can trade Jalen Rager, I think they'll trade Jalen Rager tomorrow. Um, it's not going to be a whole hell of a lot of trade. It could be as low as a seventh round pick that conditionally could move up to a six in two years. You're going to be dropping off uh, like a cliff from a first round draft pick to what you're going to be able to get in exchange for Jalen Rager. But I think the Eagles are ready, willing and able to do just that. If you cannot in good conscience, keep him on this roster and have him as your return guy and think you are displacing someone like a Kobe or an Allen that you think would be a better return guy just because you have to keep Rager because it will look somewhat embarrassing if you do release him. Is Howie Roseman going to be able to bite the bullet? If if the coaches go to Howie and go, listen, we know we saw, you can look at the tape too. Do you need us to point it out to you? This guy doesn't really earn a spot on my football team that uh, I, I know you took him, Howie, a couple of years ago before any of the current coaches were actually here in Philadelphia. But you're asking us to give your uh, our evaluation of how we can put the best 53-man roster together. Best 53-man roster doesn't include Jalen Raker. Will Howie Roseman be able to pull the plug and move on from Raker? I don't see how you don't. I understand the cap ramifications, but if he's not one of your best 53, you got to cut your losses and move on you can't let ego play into this decision you know i saw that he's now back to fielding punts and kicks the first couple practices he was not but at the end of the day especially when you factor in now the sensitivities and, and we see that it's in his head and he's searching the social media he's seeking out the negativity to me i mean 
you want the best players on, on the team. This team is built to win now. You can't just carry a guy along because he was a former first round pick. And I don't think you can get anything for him on the open market because I just mentioned Odell Beckham. He's still a free agent. I just saw a report. Will Fuller, who's also a, a, a similar skill set wide receiver, is being monitored by a handful of other NFL teams. They don't got to give up any draft equity to get those guys. And they could probably have them for relatively the same kind of cost. So I don't think you, you can trade a rig. I think the Eagles got to bite the bullet here. Hopefully he le leans on uh, Nick Sariani on this decision because coach is going to have a better feel for it. But if it's me, I I'd cut ways. We'll him. see how it shakes out. We've got uh, those two joint practices and two uh, actual preseason games. Three, excuse me. Uh, the Jets one doesn't have a uh, combined practice. Um, I don't know if Jalen Rager can move the needle enough uh, for the Eagles to be able to say, yes, he's got to be a guy on our roster. Uh, interesting conversation we'll have over the next couple of weeks. I've got an interesting conversation coming up next. That would be with longtime NFL writer Howard Balzer, who specifically covers the Arizona Cardinals these days, but does a show on SiriusXM's NFL Network as well. About the Hall of Fame, we'll ask him about Dick Vermeil and the Cardinals and all things NFL next. Howard Balzer joins us here on Birds 365. Go for the pulse and the pools. Go for the ooze and the ahs. Go for the bubbles and the bubbly. Go for the story and the stories. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Action News at 11 with Rick Williams. It's the team you trust to bring it all together. The stories that impact your community. A sports roundup for the locals. And the AccuWeather forecast you depend on. Action News at 11 with Rick Williams. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears.
Mega Mac guys. It's the usual grouping on the show, but John McMullen's already left to go to Eagle practice. So it's yours truly with Rick Saratella. We got Howard Balzer on the live, live from Arizona. Appreciate him getting up early for us. Damn, Balzer, you're a good guy to get up this early. <laughs> for you guys, I'll get up at any time you want. That What's is happening, better. Howard? Thanks for joining us out there in the desert. I know you're getting ready to uh, head out to Cardinals camp, and we were just talking about uh, none other than Mr. Kyler Murray, who's in the news again. <laughs> uh, never seems to be for the positive reasons. What's the status here? He's going to miss at least the next five practices or so? Well, it, it was really strange yesterday when you say at least, because you know Cliff Kingsbury, I think, who delivers a lot of the news to us, sometimes doesn't get things totally right. I mean, he says he has to be out five games, at least five, but then says, but if he gets a negative test, he can come back before that. So then why even mention the five games? Just say he's got COVID, and when he tests negative, he can return. And so it's pretty wild. But like you said, this entire offseason has been a soap opera, which I, which I termed the young and the restless. And now it's the really restless or, or resting right now, certainly. But, man, I don't know if you could write a book that would really be able to trans, translate, not tra- translate or d- discuss everything that's happened with this guy since right after the end of last season uh, that led up to the new contract, all the controversy with that, that looked like, okay, that was all behind. And, th- and then on Friday, he was seen, the doctors were seen kind of like working with his wrist uh, during practice. And then did not practice on Saturday, which was the first fan practice of training camp on, of course, with the NFL dubs. We're all back together Saturday. And, and then, of course, we find out uh, yesterday about the COVID test. So it just seems that one thing piles up, up on itself for this guy. But, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes from here. But, you know, they, they, you know he, he needs to get on the same page with his receivers. But then again, Marquise Brown hasn't been practicing since the start of camp because of a alleged hamstring injury. And you wonder if there might be something with the contract going on with him because he scheduled guys to make only a little over $2 million this year. And now we've seen in the last several days, the contracts that DK Metcalf and Debo Samuel received, which of course are far and away exceeding what Marquise Brown is, is getting. So still a lot of, a lot of stories, that, are, that surround this team that you wonder about some of them if we're getting the straight information. There is a new narrative every day on <laughs> uh, Kyler Murray. Uh, you've been on top of it all year, uh, Howard. But I want to kind of jettison ahead to the end because I was surprised by Ricky's take earlier. He said that he doesn't believe that every single <laughs> Cardinal teammate rallies behind uh, Murray when he's calling the plays in the huddle or will not in this upcoming season, has he, because of all of the drama that's been surrounding him, lost some of his teammates? Uh, that will do what they have to do because it's their job and they got to worry about their own production, but aren't being led by their quarterback the way most quarterbacks lead their team around the league. Has Kyler Murray lost some respect amongst his teammates out there in Arizona? There's always been the belief that that is the case, but it, it comes from us on the outside. Certainly the players don't, aren't going to admit it publicly. Uh, the players say similar things like, well, you know, every player, you know, every quarterback leads differently. And the way Kyler Murray leads is, is some, perhaps different than other guys. But I think he has to 
make sure that, that he's doing the right thing along those lines. Because, man, when they're winning, everything is great. Him and he, he's smiling, he's happy, everybody's happy. When they start losing some games and the team overall isn't playing well, that's where the questions arise, where he starts making decisions on the field that show frustration, where he throws his arms up in the air when a, when a receiver like A.J. Green last year doesn't come back for the ball. And an interception is the result. So I, I think that th- this, this is a part of his game, a part of his stature as a quarterback that, that has to improve and has to get better. And it'll all be in how he plays and, and you know whether this team can win, not only win consistently, but of course play well at the end of the season. And I think, though, that he has to show that strength that when th- that and that's it's all about when you hit adversity. Right. And he has to show that strength that when adversity comes, that he can be that guy that every, that everybody else on the, on the team feels, OK, he, he's got it together. He knows what's going on. And, and the one one aspect of it is the last two seasons, he's been injured at the end of the year and he has he hasn't played as well. Others haven't played as well. And then he doesn't handle it that well. And I've always said with all the talk about everything, that's the elephant in the room for him is staying healthy for 17 games. And he hasn't been able to do that the last two years. And the results on the field show it because he hasn't played as well. Yeah, I I think there's some serious maturity issues personally, but let's not put all the blame on Kyler for this fiasco because we all heard about the homework clause and he must do his four hours a week. It seems like that was handled pretty poorly by the Cardinals front office, right? Because, I mean, if that was the case, couldn't we just have pulled Kyler aside? And and I know Kyler claimed maybe he didn't see that language in the contract, but after no, I think Ricky's uh, breaking up on it. So, Howard, I'm going to try and follow his question. Well, yeah, I, I, how I, I, much? How much uh, blame do you put on the Cardinals for the whole homework clause thing? They did get it put in; it was there. If Kyler didn't read it, that's kind of on Kyler. But do you it's think on, the organization the mishandled it? Yeah, it's on the agent too. And now there's rumblings that maybe he's not happy with the agent at his press conference. After agreeing to the contract, he's, he said, well, you know, a lot of the stuff that happened in the offseason with things said, you know, I, I give him, referring to his agent who was sitting there in the front row, by the way, I give him a lot of crap. And so, but yeah, the Cardinals were the one to put it in. But here's the interesting thing. Steve Kine, the general manager, told us all that he and Cliff Kingsbury went to Texas during the offseason where Kyler spends most of his time, met with him, met with his family, and laid out their expectations. So aren't part of, a big part of those expectations the thing, the things that we expect you to do as a pro? And I think what that home cla- the homework clause also did was it escaped some of the focus that there would have been on another clause in his contract, which pays him over $9.3 million in the last six years of this deal for participating in the off-season program. And obviously, that's another thing they're saying. Hey, we need you here in the offseason. You want to get better? The team wants to want to be better? You need to be here for those voluntary workouts. And so I'm sure they laid that out in their expectations, but then felt compelled to put that, those money bonuses in his contract for it. Nobody hardly ever talks about that because of the, quote, homework clause. I personally believe, guys, that the owner, Michael Bidwell, that was behind a lot of that especially that clause, uh, because of things that he had seen. I've seen things written that says there was never a question 
about Kyler Murray's work ethic until that clause. Well, that's not true. He admitted to the New York Times in a story during last season that he's not a big fan of watching a lot of tape. So a lot of this he's brought on himself. And then, but I think Michael Bidwell had, you know, a little issue with the agent who questioned him on several occasions in the offseason about his commitment to win. And Michael Bidwell's a little thin-skinned guy. So, but all in all, it was handled poorly. Then to take it out, just and then to say, well, we were surprised by the reaction to it. Really? Seriously? You didn't think when this came out that everybody was going to go crazy about it? It's just, it, you know, it's just, it, it's just crazy. But there's there's stories that that Bidwell was urged not to put it in the contract, and was urged by those in the organization not to do it. So I don't know if we'll ever get to the bottom of all of it specifically, but it has been very poorly handled by pretty much everyone. Uh, <laughs> all right, Howard, uh, let me comp the two quarterbacks uh, that we've been talking about here on the show today, Kyler Murray with you, and Jalen Hurts previously uh, before you came out with us because we are Birds 365. Both of them went to Oklahoma. Her, uh, Murray, uh, Kyler Murray wins the Heisman. Jalen was one of the Heisman finalists, didn't win it. Uh, but in that same month, offense under Lincoln Riley, um, comparable numbers that they put up uh, while in college against each other. Um, and Murray, because he's a year earlier, has now already gotten paid. Jalen Hurts, well, debating here as to whether he's ever going to get paid or not. He is, Kyler has done a little bit more in the NFL than Jalen has. Um, but no one questions Jalen Hurts' work ethic and how much of a leader is he with uh, Philadelphia. What do you see when you look at those two former Oklahoma quarterbacks, major uh, part of their game being similar, and both of them can run with the football? Can Jalen Hurts be an improved Kyler Murray just because of the way he goes about doing his business and the leader that he already is with the Eagles? Or is the talent level just not as good as Kyler Murray's for Jalen Hurts here in Philly. Well, yeah, I think both are part of the equation, uh, certainly. And, and anytime you do have those intangibles, uh, that's a positive. Uh, but you still you still have to get the job done, obviously, on the field for those intangibles to mean anything. And I think Hurts has certainly shown progress uh, in his time as a starter uh, for the Eagles. He's a little bit bigger guy than Kyler Murray. So hopefully in his case, he can be durable, which is always the question when you have a quarterback that, that likes to run a lot. Certainly in the passing department, I mean, Kyler Murray is, it's, it's his accuracy, uh, all those things are just off the chart in terms of passing the football. I think that's where Jalen Hurts, that's where Lamar Jackson, quite frankly, um, quite frankly, uh, come up a little bit short, uh, no pun intended, when you start comparing them uh, to Kyler Murray. But, you know, the, the, the package is there for all these guys uh, to be successful. But, you know, so far, hey, we look at, you know, what, what's the, and I, I, sh, I don't want like to put it all on the playoff record because when you get into the postseason, you're playing the best teams in your conference when it starts out. But all these three quarterbacks, what do they have? I think combined seven playoff ex, uh, appearances with, with Jackson having five. And there's only been one victory uh, by Jackson from, from all those guys. So certainly the postseason is where you also uh, have to shine. But they're, you know, they're still young. And Hertz is still young, and I, I think this is a this is a key year for him to improve on some of the things that uh, we've talked about. Accuracy, though, I don't know if you ever improve that totally, because I think a certain amount of that is part of just part of your DNA. 
But I'm not saying he's a bad passer. But but in terms of Murray, I mean, when you look at his total package, he, he's off the chart with everything he can do. The one thing is his, his size. And that's always going to be a question. I mean, let's look at this new contract. He's going to be 31 years old in the last year of this contract. So what's it going to look like durability-wise as he starts to get older? And, you know, Kurt Warner, of course, the Hall of Fame quarterback who played for the Cardinals, he, he, he said a couple of weeks ago the one area that Kyler Murray has to improve at is throwing in the pocket and not leaving too soon. But throwing the pocket a lot of times means having throwing lanes, being protected, and all those things, and being patient. And so, you know, that's one area, obviously, where he has to get better. And he, he also has tremendous talent around him. I mean, Murray, with the receiver core he has, compared to Hertz and even Jalen Ramsey, it's, it, there's no comparison uh, with the guys that uh, Murray has to complement him. Well, both the Cardinals and Eagles, I think, have playoff expectations, it's safe to say, going into the season. Uh, week five opponents, who knows? Maybe that one-game matchup could decide who's in, who's out uh, when it's all said and done in the end. Give us the skinny. How does how does this matchup break down? You mentioned they brought in Hollywood Brown. Uh, they have a, a plethora of wide receivers. Uh, surprisingly, though, they were a pretty balanced offense, I believe, uh, in terms of percentages. I know Chase Edmonds is gone. Give, a, give us the lowdown here on how these two teams stack up. Yeah, I mean, I think there it's, a, it's an interesting comparison. And who knows what the teams are going to look like when week five rolls, a lot, rolls around. But one thing we know is DeAndre Hopkins – it won't be there uh, for the Cardinals. And so that's going to be very intriguing to see how this core looks when the season opens with the addition of Brown. Uh, they believe that A.J. Green, even at the age of 34, can still play and will be able to play better this year. He had some communications issues and learning a new way of playing, which is the way Cliff Kingsbury runs the offense with no huddle and a lot of hand signals and up-tempo and things like that, which Green wasn't accustomed to. And they expect to use Rondell Moore a whole lot more also. So I, I think they match up really interestingly. And I think also that when you look at this conference, certainly overall it's not as strong at the top as the AFC. And so, uh, you know, how you do in, the, in these key matchups with teams that have those playoff aspirations, obviously a lot of times can make the difference. So, but you, you mentioned Chase Edmonds not being there and the balance that was that was there last year, Rick. And there's an, you know, sometimes things get put in the pigeonhole, so to speak, when a team doesn't play well like the Cardinals didn't at the end of last season. And it's pointed to that, well, Kingsbury has never finished strong and Kyler Murray had some issues. But the running game and not only not only the running aspect of it, but the running backs with James Conner and Chase Edmonds, you go back and look at the first eight games last season when the Cardinals were seven and one and both those guys were healthy. They were on the field together. Edmonds had most of the snaps of, you know, about 60% to 42%. And they had a great, uh, you know, time sharing type of thing. Well, then Edmonds got hurt in the next game on the first play. And then after that, he missed several games. And all of a sudden Connor was going from playing about 40 to 42% of the snaps to 70, 80. He had two games where he had played over 90% of the snaps. Then Edmonds came back and Connor got hurt from, I believe, being overworked. And then Edmonds played over you know, about 82 and 90% of the snaps in two games that Connor wasn't there. And those guys only played together once 
in the last nine regular season games. And that affected the offense and Hopkins got hurt and a lot of other things. So they, they need to find a, not only find a backup running back to Connor now with Edmonds gone, and it could be Darrell Williams, who's been with the Chiefs for four years. It could be Eno Benjamin, who's been with the Cardinals for two years and looks ready to ascend. But not only do they have to decide who's going to be the guy, but then to make sure to use them and not overwork James Connor. I think if they can do that and have some balance within that offense like they had last year, they can still be a very dangerous team offensively. And these two quarterbacks we're talking about, former Oklahoma quarterbacks, will be facing off week number six. Don't forget, Eagles and Cardinals play early this season. Uh, one of the reasons why we're having Howard Balls around with us today. All right, uh, let's say you're off to uh, Cardinal practice today and your cell phone rings while you're in the car. And you can put just put it up on Bluetooth because we know you got to go hands off. Uh, and you recognize it as a Westchester County number outside of New York. And you punch it up. And uh, Howard, this is Roger Goodell. Can I pick your brain for a minute? I got a pretty big decision I got to make here in the next 48 hours. Whole appeal thing with the Deshaun Watson situation. Uh, I've certainly done a lot of research on it, but I'm kind of sitting on the fence. Howard, uh, you kind of been around this uh, league as long as I have, if not more so. You've been through it all. I'm the guy who's under the microscope right now, but I'm looking for a little helping hand. What kind of advice would you give Roger Goodell as to whether he should just accept Sue Robinson's decision as a six-game suspension? Should he try and add to it? If so, how much? How is he going to handle his statement when he makes one? I know it'll go to paper, but he at some point going to have to answer the media, to the media as to why he made the decision he did. What kind of advice would you give Roger Goodell if he called you today? It's a great question. Because, oh, and by the way, I thought you had me on this because I grew up in Philly. And, of course, uh, had, had a lot of time there. But that, that's another story. For <laughs> but what I was just doing, I was scratching my head because I'm scratching my head and trying to figure out why, the ju why Judge Robinson reached the conclusion she did when she said that she found Watson not to be remorseful and guilty of nonviolent you know, you know, sexual sex harassment. Yeah, sexual harassment. And, we're going, and then six games for that with the – with, with the number of cases there were. Now, I know the NFL only presented four, but she has to know what, you know, what else is there. And so, and then you look at it in the context, and I know they're different, you know, they're different policies in the NFL, but DeAndre Hopkins has what he claims to be a trace amount of a banned substance, and he suspended six games. Uh, Calvin Ridley of the Falcons wagers $1,500 online on a parlay during, during the season last year. He gets a full season. I realize those strike to the integrity of the game, but fans and the public look at that and say, hmm, this, this really doesn't make any sense. The flip side is Roger Goodell and the league, for that matter, because it's, it, it's, quote, the league, which are his investigators. They're the ones who have to say, no, this isn't right, and then decide, decide whether to appeal or not, and then it goes to Roger Goodell for a decision. I'm sure – on one level, they don't want to prolong this too much. It's been going on, obviously, for a tremendously long time. Now, I know the statement the other day from the NFLPA said they will accept Sue Robinson's decision. Well, if the league doesn't accept it, then that statement doesn't mean anything. So right. Goodell could decide what he wants to decide, and then Deshaun Watson could still appeal. And how long does this continue to go on? I think most logical people look at this and say 
this guy should have gotten more games, whether it should have been a full year, whether it should have been eight games, whether it should have been 10. I mean, you know, who's to say what's actually right about that? But six seems awfully lenient, especially when you consider what the judge wrote about it. It just seems to be a disconnect there. One more, Howard, if I could sneak it in here, because I know you're off to the NFL Hall of Fame out there in Canton, and you do have an NFL Hall of Fame vote. Eagles fans uh, excited. Uh, Dick Vermeil will be closing down the ceremonies as the final speaker, I guess. I know you guys are not allowed to talk about those conversations behind closed doors, but your personal opinion, I mean, what, what took so long to get Vermeil into the Hall? Well, first of all, it's been very hard for coaches to get in, and that's one of the reasons that the contrib- uh, the coach the separate coach category was you know they, they they decided to do it the hall of fame did the board of directors just like they decided to do the separate contributors category i believe it started in 20, 2014 or 2015 because contributors like the great general managers the ron wolfs the bill polians the bobby bether gil brandt you know those the george young those guys weren't getting in prior to that because they were considered in the same discussions with, with modern day players. And so I think that's what hurt Dick Vermeil. I think it also hurt that when you look at his overall record, a 52% winning percentage, someone look at that and say, well, he wasn't, he wasn't that good, but look closer, look closer at it. You mentioned the Eagles turned around a, a, a horrific franchise when he took over. Same thing with the Rams. And I got to know Dick certainly very well when I was in St. Louis and covering the Rams. And I put together some numbers for the committee to look at, which showed that in, in, the third, in, the, uh, in the third year of all his stops, including Kansas City, all of a sudden, everything turned around and his teams made the playoffs. And from year three forward for the rest of his career in those stops, all of a sudden his winning percentage was 65%. So I think sometimes you have to dig a little, you have to dig a little deep into the weeds to, to look at a guy's case. But again, I, I think that the biggest thing was how hard it had been for coaches uh, to be, uh, to, they'd be considered, but the, you know, the, the guys with all the Super Bowls, you know, the Tony Dungies, of course, who still only won one uh, or two, actually. Uh, no, yeah, I only won one. You know, guys like that were the ones who were getting in, but it was only a matter of time. He finally got in and it's great to see him there. And I, I, I got to tell you a, a funny story on the Hall of Fame show that I do for serious we had jerome bettis on a couple of weeks ago and joe harrigan who i do the show with from the hall of fame gave jerome a little bit of guff for having such a long speech uh, when he was enshrined in canton so i said hey come on joe you got to be a little easier on jerome the speech was long because he had to stop all the time with all the steelers fans there you know making making all that ruckus and bettis said, thank you howard thank you and and he said plus i spoke last and so I, you know, I, I needed to get the fans awake again. Who were oh. you know? And so because it was such a long evening, he spoke last. So I said to him, well, you know, it's interesting, Jerome, because Dick Vermeil is going to speak last at the enshrinement this year, which, of course, comes up on Saturday. And so my question to you is, I wonder if that speech will be prolonged because Dick will continue to break down and cry. Oh, yeah. During his speech. There, there, there will be tears when Vic, when uh, Coach Vermeil speaks on Saturday. What are they, what are they trying to hold him to, Howard? I'm sorry, what's that? Eight or 12 minutes? How many minutes are supposedly each guy yeah, supposed well, to have? They tell them six, and then music starts playing like the Academy <laughs> Awards when they get to eight. But I have to give, give them credit. 
because last year they instituted that policy and everyone followed it. Everyone followed it. And the ceremonies are still long anyway, but they were much more concise, much more compact, and it, and it moved through. And so we'll, we'll see. You know, there's, you know, when you look at when you look at the class anyway, I mean, the guys who have gone forever in the past, the guys like Chris Carter and Michael Irvin and, you know, man, they, they, they were speaking for more than a half hour. And that's the thing that really prolonged it. I don't know. I don't see anybody on this list being like that anyway, but they did a good job of it last year. I would expect to continue to it for it to continue this year. And we'll have a ceremony, by the way, reminding all the millions of viewers out there. The ceremony begins on Saturday at noon mm. Eastern time. Okay. They moved it up from the early evening uh, to put it during the day. And so pe people, if you don't realize that, you, if you, you know, wait till the evening to turn it on, you're pro you, you will have missed it. Now, I suspect NFL Network will probably replay it, but still, it's always cool to see that live. So Eastern Time, noon. Remember that on Saturday for this year's enshrinement. I'll be heading to Canton tomorrow and looking forward to being a part of and just one of the greatest football weekends that there is in the entire sport. And, uh, oh, by the way, if you need an under-over, we wager on everything these days, right? <laughs> Much apologies to those who get suspended a year in the NFL for doing so. I'm not an NFL employee, so I can talk about it all I want. Dick Vermeil, over eight minutes. He's going last. They put him last for a reason because they knew he was going to break down. He was going to go a little bit long. So that's why uh, well, they got it's like, will be. It's like soccer games. You know, they've got to stop the clock for extra time. Extra time. The, oh, Dick Vermeil will get extra time. Very when good. He, well, when, when, when he gets that for crying. Stop the clock when he starts crying and then, you know, restart it. Restart the clock. All right, Howard, last thing. Um, please give a shout-out to where you used to call home here in the Delaware Valley. Where do we need to give a shout-out to? Long time ago, of course, I spent my growing up there uh, years there in Springfield, uh, Montgomery County, not Delaware County. And, of course, had my uh, – should I give away – I mean, I had my 53rd high school reunion uh, three years ago and got back there. Haven't been back to Philly uh, very much over the years, but always keep my eye on it. Still have, you know, friends uh, back there. But, yeah, stomping grounds. I talk about it all the time. And In fact, I wrote a story in Lindy's Super Bowl magazine after the Eagles won, won, won it that year and talked about growing up there and not just football, going to the palestra and – you know, driving to Connie Mack Stadium for the first time when when my parents told me to make sure you park in, a, in, in one of the lots, not behind the stadium, and told a great story about what happened when I did park, the, when, I, when, <laughs> when I disobeyed them. So, yeah, it's great, great growing up years uh, in, in that town and uh, will always, always uh, be a big part of me. Once a Monco guy, always a Monco guy. We appreciate we you getting up early with us. Man, you did us a solid, Howard, by getting up as early as you did. Have a great time in Canton this week, and we'll get you back here on Birds 365 down the road. Look forward to it, guys. Appreciate it. Take Thanks, care. Howard. Thanks, Travels. Balls are Hall of Fame voter, longtime NFL writer, specifically covering the Cardinals this week, this year. And, oh, by the way, Eagles-Cardinals week six. You have to hope that uh, the suspension for DeAndre Hopkins, which is scheduled right now for six games, Eagles-Cardinals play week five. You're hoping that it is not uh, pushed back. It's still pending. He is still appealing. But as of now, it's sitting for six games. Oh, yeah, I don't want to play the Cardinals with DeAndre Hopkins. I still think he might um, be the most. I know A.J. Brown won't be glad to hear this. I know Devontae Adams won't be glad to hear this or 
Cooper Cup, who had one of the most amazing seasons in the history of the National Football League last year. I still think DeAndre Hopkins is the most talented wide receiver in the National Football League. And if the Eagles can dodge a bullet and not have to face him, even with their cornerbacks looking as good as they are in camp, don't look a gift horse in the mouth if he is still ineligible to play when Eagles and Cardinals play this year. All right, John, uh, Jordan McDonald with Rick Saratella. We got to come back. Been a good one. We need to put a bow on the show. Go for the polls and the pools. Go for the ooze and the oz. Go for the bubbles and the bubbly. Go for the story and the stories. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Action News at 11 with Rick Williams. It's the team you trust to bring it all together. The stories that impact your community. A sports roundup for the locals. And the AccuWeather forecast you depend on. Action News at 11 with Rick Williams. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. Down the home stretch of a Bird 365 Tuesday get together. Rick Saratella in for John McMullen with me, Jody Mack. I, uh, Rick, when the Eagles get it going in about eight minutes or so, uh, there might be Eagles still watching Birds 365 on their phone before they got out, get out there on the field. They may be completely padded up already in full pads today for the practice 
and they're catching uh, the last couple of minutes of Birch 365. A uh, quick word of advice from your buddy, Jody Mack. Don't hit the quarterback today because I'm sure you've seen the video uh, of what happened in Buffalo's training camp this past weekend. A defensive lineman bumped. That's the extent of my description of what uh, Phillips, I think it's Jordan Phillips. Is that the defensive lineman from Baltimore? I think uh, from uh, Buffalo, I'm pretty sure that's his name, DT. Bumped Josh Allen this weekend on a practice. Josh Allen took great exception to it, got back into the face of his own teammate. They had to be separated. All the players come running in, basically a melee on the field because he bumped Josh Allen. He didn't tackle Josh Allen. He didn't throw Josh Allen to the ground. He didn't grab him by the face mask and and bring him to the ground. He bumped him. And Josh Allen lost his mind and decided he was going to challenge a guy. We haven't had that in the Eagles camp yet so far. And with the way Nick Sirianni has been running camps, and I should actually say the Eagles, because I think Sirianni is taking directives as to how to run camps. Is that going to happen? We going to get any chaos at an Eagle practice this year, Rick Saratella? Oh, is Ricky freezing up on us? Uh. All right, uh, we, uh, sure enough, I I did too much of a setup on that, but I felt it necessary that the Buffalo Bills had to actually stop practice because, God forbid, a defensive tackle bumped their starting quarterback. Ridiculous, if you ask me. But the Eagles, I don't think we have to worry about that because they're not mm, tackling to the ground. The fact that they've got pads on is an escalation of the Eagle practices I hope they're ready for the start of the season. I get it. It's great that nobody's getting hurt. Oh, by the way, they've got some guys that are hurt, and I'm not blaming it on uh, the Eagles' practices and or the toughness of them. Certainly that's not been the case. Uh, Injuries are a lot of luck. And I know nobody ever wants to hear that. Um, I got a good buddy who's a professional poker player, and I give him grief all the time um, because he never thinks luck is involved. He thinks that the skill of the player decides every single hand. Don't kid yourself. There's luck involved in poker. Unless you're an obnoxious uh, professional player, you know full well that luck has a lot to do with it. And luck has a lot to do with football injuries as well. So um, I'm not buying that uh, uh, you can control the amount of injuries that you have. Uh, Some of it is going to be uh, at the Uh, Hands of Lady Luck, and hopefully the Eagles are on the right side of all those Lady Luck plays. Right now, they're not that injured a football team. Compare them to other teams. Other teams have uh, bigger issues and uh, bigger injuries that they have to deal with, but the Eagles uh, don't have all that much. All right, Ricky, glad to get you back. We only got a couple minutes left here. Do you believe we will see chaos today? The Eagles are putting on pads, Ricky. Is there going to be an all-out fight or melee at practice today? Yeah, I mean, that's what happens. Tempers uh, seem to flare once you strap it up and uh, people just waiting to put a body on somebody. And I did not catch the Buffalo one. I have to say I missed that one, Jody. Right, I you got to check see- out. Do me a favor. When the show's over, uh, just uh, Google it and check out the video. He bumped Josh Allen. Didn't hit Josh Allen. Didn't even push Josh Allen. He just kind of hit him with his chest. He bumped Josh Allen, and it led to a fight at the Bills camp. So they, they've gotten so far away from actual physicality 
in this uh, before the season starts workouts. You can't even bump a guy anymore. It's ridiculous. It's it's unbelievable the incubator that the uh, quarterbacks now live in. So yeah, I, I was going to say too. I saw the one down in New Orleans with the Saints tempers flaring up, and and I was going to say to your point too when they do those live scrimmages. A lot of times that's when you see these scuffles because now they get to hit people and it's the first time and there's a lot of uh, testosterone built up. So, yeah, I think, you know, just like any other uh, training camp with the first day of pads, you're going to see some little uh, extra business, shall we call it, after the whistle. Uh, not at Eagles camp because they're not tackling to the ground. But then again, like I said, in Buffalo camp, there was no tackling involved. He bumped them and it led to a fight. So we shall see. Uh, that's something we will be discussing tomorrow. Uh, Johnny Mac back. No Eagles uh, media allowed in the practice. You're going to be back later in the week, correct? Friday. Yep. Friday. Ricky will be back with me on Friday. Uh, looking forward to that, uh, buddy. Thanks for hopping on today. Appreciate it greatly. Talk to you later in the week. Yeah. Always a pleasure. That's Rick Saratella. I'm Jody McDonald. Tomorrow, John McMullen back here with us. Uh, no Eagles media availability. So he'll be right here on Birds 365. We'll be back in slightly more than two and two. You've been listening to Birds 365, the destination for the passionate Eagles football fan who bleeds green. If it's Eagles football, we're talking about it. Debate inside the locker room and guests that are some of the greatest football minds from around the region. We hope you enjoyed the show. We know we had a blast. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on social media at Jacob Sports. See you next time on Birds 365.